Hello there, I'm Tyler Griffin, and this is Scripture Study Insights by Scripture Central. Today, 2 Nephi chapters 3 through 5. And the overlay that I wanted to use for exploring these chapters is this perspective that we have Jesus Christ who stands at the head of all of this work the work of the church, the work of the spreading of the gospel, spreading of the covenant, building of temples, uh, spreading of missionary work, all all of these efforts to gather people into the safety of his covenant connection with them in the latter days. Well, from heaven, how does he do that? As we are down here on the earth, he parts the veil, he picks a prophet, And then he inspires that prophet with certain things, certain directions, to then go and spread the word to others who can then keep spreading it with human testimony to other people as well. And that's the way God spreads his work and spreads the message. Now, some would say, wouldn't it be more efficient, maybe even a lot more effective if if the Savior himself were to just speak to everybody, just reveal himself to the whole earth and say, okay, look, here's what I want you to do. And I suppose that would be more effective at getting the water to the end of all the rows uh, for all the people. But the person who knows more than anybody else has chosen to use this technique. I don't know why. But I trust that God knows why, that there's a good reason to uh, use this as a means whereby to build and stretch faith. So we're going to watch that happen in this block of scripture, how people have to trust in God, have faith in Christ, rely on the Savior by following prophets and words of their, their teachings and their testimonies that are spread through the chain of human witnesses. So, with this foundation, you jump into chapter 3, and this is an amazing chapter filled with multiple layers and levels of prophets and their, their teachings. So, let's set the stage. We have Lehi, who is speaking to his son, Joseph. And Joseph is his last born in the wilderness. If you look at verse 3, he's promised something. Now, Joseph, my last born, whom I have brought out of the wilderness of mine afflictions, may the Lord bless thee forever, for thy seed shall not utterly be destroyed. This is once again God inspiring a prophet, in this case Lehi, to share something with an individual, in this case his son Joseph. It's a promise, your seed, your posterity will not utterly be destroyed. If you want to put a little cross-reference next to verse 3, the cross-reference being chapter 4, verse 9, he gives the same promise to his grandchildren in chapter 4, verse 9, in this case, It's the sons and daughters of his second son, Lemuel. 
And also, he repeats that he had given the same blessing to the sons and daughters of Laman. So, you've got all these grandchildren being told, thou shalt not utterly be destroyed, but in the end, thy seed shall be blessed. So, a prophet being granted a vision from a heavenly perspective of what's going to happen, not just with these children or grandchildren, but generations of their posterity will not utterly be destroyed. And now it's the role of Joseph and these children of Laman and Lemuel to have faith in God and to trust in these promises that are given. Uh, because especially in their context, a Hebrew world context before Christ, the, the Hebrew mindset, your identity was based on the group dynamic, on the family, the tribe, and on the longevity of that identity as a people. This is a big deal, this promise given to Joseph and to his grandchildren, that you're not utterly going to be destroyed. So, after giving that promise, now he links the majority of the teaching to his son Joseph to a Joseph that lived much earlier in Egypt. The eleventh child, or the eleventh son, rather, of Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. So, he mentions in verse 4, thou art the fruit of my loins, and I am a descendant of Joseph, who was carried captive into Egypt, and great were the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph." So, these covenants, these connections, as well as these promises that come with those covenants, and here's Lehi saying, I'm a descendant of Joseph through Manasseh, his firstborn that we learned earlier on, and greater the covenants that God made with Joseph, and can you see it? He's saying, by default, we're born into this family, we get the blessing of those incredible covenants. Yes, what I do today can have a positive impact on generations down the road, not just my children, but for generations. That's the beauty of these powerful connections with heaven is that they can bless not just my life and your life, but people around us for generations to come. So then he goes on to say, verse 5, wherefore Joseph truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. So keep in mind, this is hundreds of years later, and he's saying, look, Joseph saw our day, young Joseph, and he saw that there would be a righteous branch, and, and we're part of this prophecy, but then he says, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off, nevertheless to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power under the bringing of them out of darkness unto light, ye out of hidden darkness and out of captivity unto freedom. What's happening here is Lehi 
is reading the brass plates and he's able to share some things with his young son Joseph based on what he's read on the brass plates. Well, we've got lots of writings from the Old Testament, the writings of Moses and subsequent prophets leading up to Lehi leaving Jerusalem. Well, the entire book of Genesis is simply Moses making an abridgment of all the prophets who came before him, Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We don't have in our Bible, in our Old Testament, we don't have any of the specific words or, or books, rather, of Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But what you get in chapter 3 of the Book of Mormon here is multiple excerpts from the book of Joseph in Egypt that we don't have in, in the Bible because what we get instead is Moses' abridgment of all of those prophets' words. So this is a real treat to get to read some actual words written by Joseph in Egypt that he would find on the brass plates. So, if you look at verse 6, he says, For Joseph truly testified, saying, A seer shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer unto the fruit of my loins. This is all in first person. So, Lehi is reading directly off of the brass plates to his son Joseph, and later on, Nephi, who's making this record, is making an exact copy-paste job of those words during this part of Lehi's speech. It's beautiful when you see what, he's, what Lehi is reading to Joseph from Joseph. As Joseph saw Lehi's day and Joseph also saw the latter days where God would raise up a latter-day seer and he's giving you a description of what that latter-day seer would be like and what he would do, or rather what God would do for all of the earth through that latter-day seer. So, he's going to bring the knowledge of all the covenants back to the earth. That's repeated a couple of times here in verse 7, verse 12. He's going to do a great work, which is repeated multiple times. He's going to be great like unto Moses. Can you imagine being Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery during the translation process as they come to this chapter and it starts to dawn on them what it is that Joseph in Egypt saw and what he's prophesying about and what Lehi is sharing with his son Joseph about the latter-day seer? And then this moment in verse 15, and his name shall be called after me, Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father. So it's going to be a Joseph Jr. as we get Joseph Smith being born into the family of Joseph Sr. and Lucy Mac Smith. And he shall be like unto me for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. Brothers and sisters, this isn't about the people, Joseph in Egypt, or Joseph the son of Lehi, or Joseph the son of Joseph in the latter days. That's not the focus 
of these scriptures. The focus of these scriptures is on God. It's on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing to save God's children. And how he does that is through choice seers and servants who are called to do amazing things and are used as instruments in the hands of the Lord to do that work. And if you look at it through those lenses of this isn't just about Joseph's or any of the Joseph's, this is about Jesus Christ and how he's going to use these servants, many of which have the name Joseph, to do his work. It makes it more applicable for us to be able to see how God continues to use prophets in our day, today, to help bring us to a knowledge of and connection with the covenants that the Lord has offered us. It's this relationship with Christ that he's offering us through these prophets and their, their words. So, enjoy your deep dive, your study in chapter 3, looking for how God uses prophets to help you connect with him. Now we go into chapter 4. Uh, Lehi is going to pass away in chapter 4, and the last group that he speaks to his grandchildren, the children of Laman in verse 3, the children of Lemuel in verse 8, Sam in verse 11, Sam, that character who interestingly never says a single word as recorded in the Book of Mormon. We never get any words spoken by Sam, and we don't know much about him other than he's told that in verse 11, his seed will be numbered with the seed of Nephi. There's something going on with Sam that he doesn't get his own um, group name. For the rest of the Book of Mormon, you're going to get different groups called Lamanites, Lemuelites, Ishmaelites, Nephites, Jacobites, Josephites, but there are never any Samites. So there's something something in his situation that's a little bit different, and we don't know for sure what that is. And now in verse 12 it says, And it came to pass that after my father Lehi had spoken unto all his household, according to the feelings of his heart, and the Spirit of the Lord which was in him, he waxed old, and it came to pass that he died and was buried. So it's the passing of this great patriarch of the family, which now puts the mantle of prophetic leadership on Nephi's shoulders. And let's be honest, wouldn't it be easier if Nephi could just play um, the, the role of friend to all and not have to be the prophet? Wouldn't it be easier just to try to be popular or to be liked or beloved by everybody? But look what happens. This prophetic mantle now on his shoulders, it says, verse 13, it came to pass that not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael were angry with me because of the admonitions of the Lord. It's not a, just a personality thing. It's because he's giving admonitions from the Lord because that's what prophets do. They, don't, they aren't told things to satisfy their own curiosity. They're told things, they're given directions to pass them on. 
and to lift and build people around them and to warn and exhort and expound and make promises and, and connect people with each other and with God. Uh, verse 14, he gives more description of this. For I, Nephi, was constrained to speak unto them. It, it, it's not as if Nephi's doing this of his own accord. He's constrained by the Lord to do this. And for I had spoken many things unto them, and also my father before his death, many of which sayings are written upon mine other plates that we'll talk about later, the larger plates. And then Nephi lets us into his heart, deeply into his soul. For the first time, really, in the record, we see more of the inner workings of what it's like for Nephi to be in this role as a prophet of God. Because in verse 15 and 16, you read those and he's describing his desires, his attitude towards life, his approach to God and to scriptures. You're seeing words like, my soul delighteth in the scriptures, my heart pondereth them, and I write, it, I write them. He, he's writing them for the learning and the profit of my children. Everything is this, how can I lift and build people around me? And his heart is pondering continually. And you're thinking, oh, this is wonderful, but the next word, verse 17, starts with, nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. And now he launches into what many have called Nephi's lament or Nephi's psalm, where he pours out his heart on the page. And I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that it's chance that he has this soul-searching difficulty right after his father died and that prophetic mantle now rests fully on him as he's having to realize who he is, who God needs him to be for these people, and it's causing him to say, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I'm encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. I don't think Nephi is guilty of any major sin. I think the more somebody comes closer to God, the more they're walking in the light and the more they recognize their flaws and the more unworthy or even uh, in this case, he's referring to the iniquities and the sins and the temptations. I think you become more sensitized to things that before you didn't even blink at. It, it wasn't an issue for you, but now you're saying, oh, that part of my soul needs refining. It needs cleansing. I'm not who I need to be yet. I'm not up to this task yet. Now, if you've ever had a very rough moment of life where you feel inadequate, you feel like giving up, you feel like you're never going to be good enough. This is one of those sections of scriptures that I turn to when I'm struggling, when I'm in that category of, boy, I'm not, I'm not who I need to be. Because Nephi shows us a pattern of things that we can do for those who just experienced the, the normal ups and downs, and sometimes those downs can feel really down, here are these principles. You look at verse 19, 
where he recognizes this struggle and the very first thing he does, as he says halfway through 19, nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. That's a powerful turning point, pivot point in a really rough experience is to pause and focus on God. I know in whom I have trusted. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness. He hath preserved me. He hath filled me with his love. He hath confounded mine enemies. What is Nephi doing? He's counting his many blessings. God hath done this. He hath done this. He hath done this. What a great way to start turning a corner. And he continues that he hath exercise all the way down to verse 26. And then he shifts and he has a, a, an attitude readjustment, uh, this reevaluation. He, he asks these questions in 26 and 27 like, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of the sorrow? Why should I yield to sin? Why should I give way to temptations? It's this moment where he stops being a victim of these external influences and he, he, he pauses, scratches his head and says, why should I do this? Why should I allow these things to keep pushing me down? And then verse 28, it's this spiritual reconviction. Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. If you want a real treat today, look up the song written by John Tanner called, I Love the Lord. It's been sung a couple of times in, in various general conference sessions and um, different choirs have produced it. You can find it uh, online and listen to all three verses. It's masterfully written using the words of Nephi's psalm. I love what John Tanner did here to pull together the feeling of this psalm and put it to the word or to the music of Be Still My Soul, Finlandia. And it's a very moving way to uh, encapsulate what Nephi's process was here to come out of that slump, that spiritual gloom that he's found himself in. After, you'll notice that after the spiritual reconviction, he then shares a prayer of faith. So notice how many times he uses the phrase, O Lord, wilt thou? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me in the robe of thy righteousness? Wilt thou make a way for mine escape? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block? And then he finishes in a very powerful way by bearing testimony to God. Now that's a fascinating thing. Verse 34, O Lord, I have trusted in thee and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. A cursed is he that putteth his trust in man or maketh flesh his arm. Yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. 
Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and my everlasting God. Amen. Did you notice in verse 34 and 35 how Nephi switched between talking to God, but keep in mind, he's writing on metal plates. So when he started in verse 34, O Lord, I have trusted in thee, he's speaking to God, but he's letting us, we're getting to witness his conversation with God. And then partway down through verse 35, it looks like he's speaking to us because, yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Now you get over to chapter 5 and if, if you begin in chapter 5 with verse 27, it, it says, it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. And then, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 1 through 26, and mark all of the things that Nephi did and his people did that would lead to them having a happy life, this becomes a beautiful handbook for what is what can I do on the covenant path to find more joy in my relationships, more joy in my worship, more joy in my calling, more joy in my work, more joy in life in general. And it's kind of ironic because the way the chapter starts is with his brothers trying to kill him. So the Lord warns him to depart. Verse 6 says, I, Nephi, did take my family and also Zoram and his family and Sam, mine elder brother, and his family and Jacob and Joseph, my younger brethren, and also my sisters. Well, that lists off everybody in the, in the first family that left Jerusalem that we know about that was sympathetic to Nephi, but then he adds, and all those who would go with me. And all those who would go with me were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of God wherefore they did hearken unto my words. And they took their tents, they found this new place, and the Lord did prosper them exceedingly. And they sowed seeds and they reaped in abundance. You notice he takes the sword of Laban in 14 and he makes replicas of that sword to be able to defend his people. Then he teaches them how to build in verse 15. They construct a temple in verse 16. So in the rest of these verses, it describes things like they were industrious, they wanted to make him a king, he didn't want it, but he nevertheless he did unto them um, according to that which was in his power. And if you read chapter 6 verse 2 or if you read Jacob chapter 1 verse 9, sure looks like Nephi took on that role as a king or a protector for his people even though he didn't want it. And you, you keep going, it describes um, the curse that's given to the Lamanites and there are all kinds of struggles that people face in a latter-day context reading these words and putting our reference to race and our reference to um, skin backwards in time onto their culture. We need to be very careful not to use our modern-day judgments on people in their historical setting and in their own historical context. And then we end where he describes something in verse 28 through 34 that is fascinating. 
he gives us this insight that in verse 28, 30 years had passed away from the time that we had left Jerusalem. And I, Nephi, had kept the records upon my plates which I had made of my people thus far. And it came to pass that the Lord said unto me, Make other plates, and thou shalt engraven many things upon them which are good in my sight for the profit of thy people. So here's the reality. I'll use, I'll use these plates that are already here. We've used them as brass plates before. Now I'll use them as the large plates. Nephi, for 30 years, has been making a record of all of the doings, all of the, the details. And 30 years in, God now says, make a new record. Make a smaller record that's not quite so detail-oriented. Just write the things of more spiritual nature. At that point, our prophet Nephi could have said, why? And, and resisted doing it until God gave him all of the answers to his questions. But Nephi didn't resist. He just did it. He started working again on a new project, the small plates. And by the time you get to verse 34, it says, It sufficeth me to say that 40 years had passed away and we'd already had wars and contentions with our brethren. So in that 10-year period, it looks like Nephi has gone back and redone everything that you got in 1 Nephi and 2 Nephi chapters 1 through 5 up to this point. We're now 40 years removed. So we don't know how old he was, but let's just guess somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 because he says he was exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature. So somewhere around 15, well, at age somewhere around 45, he's given the command, make a new record, and sometime around the age 55, he's finished up to this point and now moving forward. What we got was the second draft, at least, there could have been others, but he now goes through his father's writings, gives us an abridgment of the writings of Lehi. If you've ever wondered what was written by Lehi, just read 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 9 because it's Nephi's abridgment of his father's writings put into Nephi's first-person voice, but it's, he's recording his father's words. Then he gives you his own writings. Very organized, very intentional, very purposeful, and it's beautiful to watch. Brothers and sisters, here's my point. God gave a command to a prophet to do something that at that time may not have made perfect sense. He just told him what to do, but he didn't tell him why. But he did it anyway. I wonder how often in our day God's prophets, seers, and revelators are being given very specific directions to do things. Build a temple there. Start a mission here change this practice or this procedure or this policy in the church here. I, I wonder how many times this happens where they're told what to do but not told why, but they do it. And it's our privilege and our opportunity to exercise our faith in Jesus Christ 
by trusting that what he has given to the prophets is from him. In closing, we thank thee, O God, for a prophet to guide us in these latter days. I'm so grateful for prophets through the ages being willing to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord, being willing to do things for a wise purpose, which wise purpose they don't always know, but they do it anyway because they're serving God and they're serving us because God commands them to to teach us or to do certain things for our benefit. And gratefully, it's now our turn to decide to what degree are we going to trust God and move forward in our test of faith, our test of discipleship in this covenant relationship with Christ, with his appointed prophets being spokesmen for him on the earth today. I love the Lord. I love his prophets. I love this church that he has established. I love these scriptures and I love the opportunity to study them deeply. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know that you're loved. The Come, Follow Me program is an incredible resource to aid your gospel study. There are many supplementary Come, Follow Me video programs within the church. These videos should never be a replacement for your own personal and family study. As this video finishes, we encourage you to open your scriptures and begin studying the sacred words written there. If you need additional resources to enhance your study of the scriptures, please check out the Gospel Learning app from Scripture Central. You can search just about any topic in the Gospel that you can think of and find a number of videos to help enhance your understanding. We are certain these learning paths will deepen your desire to follow Christ. The Gospel Explorer feature within the app was created with the Come, Follow Me program in mind. This week features three pathways for studying. The path on the left delves into the topic of grieving the loss of loved ones. Nephi felt the weight of loss when his father Lehi had passed away. The middle pathway explores Nephi's heartfelt cry to God, also known as Nephi's Psalm. The last pathway will take you to the words of modern prophets into the concept of living after the manner of happiness. As always, please use these resources to deepen the roots of your conversion. We hope you enjoy studying with us. Thank you.